So this week, I was uh, supposed to be preaching from Isaiah chapter 40. And I kept coming back to a different passage, uh, one of my favorite passages. And uh, as I kept coming back to it, I kept thinking, you know, I've preached from this passage quite a bit. If you are one of those people who, uh, my grandmother always did this, she would write little notes in the margin of her Bible of when the preacher preached on that passage. Uh, and I would, some, if you do that, I would really hate to see it uh, if you've done that, because I know I've preached from this passage a lot. Uh, but it's one that I think this week I, just, I kept coming back to time and time again. Uh, and so I, I wanted to, for us to go back there and hopefully uh, in preaching it, I, I preach it in a new way. And the Lord has given me a new song to preach on this passage. Uh, but it's in Philippians. And so if you want to go ahead and turn there, Philippians uh, will actually start in chapter 1 as Paul is wrapping up uh, chapter one, because I think it really speaks into his argument and where he is going in chapter two. So Philippians chapter one, we will start with verse uh, 27. Paul says there, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then whether I come to see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed, that you are going to be saved even by God himself, for you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. We are in this struggle together. You may have seen my struggle in the past and you know that I am still in the midst of it. Now, before we go into chapter two, I wanna just kind of uh, circle back to verse 27 because verse 27, uh, there's something here that I wanna make sure that we see because it, it informs as he is moving into chapter two. And the statement here is, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of, and as the New Living Translation translates this word, good news, or the gospel, or in Greek, evangelion, or eangelion, the gospel. Now, for us, we, we kind of know that when we talk about gospel, it's kind of this, this loaded word, and we know that, uh, well, if we're going to talk about gospel, we have to go to John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the gospel, yes. Or 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I'm not going to recite the whole chapter, because I can't. But, but we know that's the gospel. But the way that Paul is using this term here is, is a little bit different than the way we read this term. Because for Paul, the gospel is this, the good news of Jesus Christ, but the gospel is not a word that Paul created. It's not a word that didn't have a meaning. This word, eongelion, actually was a word that was common in their language. And so what they would use this word for is if uh, we were in the city and if the, uh, if the if the president or the king or whatever kind of language you want to use, if we live in a small town and we have been in that small town and we are in living in an agrarian society and you're out in the field and you're working in the field, there would be someone who would come. And they would come and they would announce the good news. You know what the good news was? That the king is coming, that the leader is coming. 
And they would make this pronouncement and they would go through the fields. They would go through the city and they would pronounce this good news and say that the king is coming. Good news, good news. The king is coming. And so you would drop what you were doing and you would go to make sure that you saw the king as the king came through. This was the use of that term. And so Paul takes this term and begins to use it. To use it for the people that it's not about a king that is coming necessarily, but it is about the king that is coming. That Christ is coming. And he is saying to the people, it is time to announce it. It is time to know that above all, you live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the announcement. And what is the announcement? It is about Christ that Christ has come, that Christ is coming. And so he's making this proclamation. So he's saying to the people, if you are going to be making the proclamation that Christ is coming, then you should prepare yourself and you should live in a different way. And so he tells the church, church, this is how I want you to live. This is what it lives. This is what it is to live under the reign and the rule and the announcement that the king is coming. You change some things about your life. So he moves into chapter two and he tells us, this is how I want you to live. He says, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Now, he's gonna ask some questions, just so you know. These questions, as they're written in Greek, it's an obvious answer and the answer is yes for all these questions. So just if, if you read them, there's only one answer, it's yes. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Yes. Any comfort from his love? Yes. Any fellowship together with the spirit? Yes. Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Yes. We move to verse two. Verse two, he says to us, then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another and working together with one mind and purpose. You are the people who are to be announcing the good news that the king is coming. What do you do? By agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, working together with one mind and purpose. Verse three, don't be selfish. Don't be selfish, not selfish. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take in an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Verse six, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God highly elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Now let's take just a moment uh, to kind of walk through this, this section. Verse six through verse 11, I know I've preached on it a hundred times, but this is, is what's called the Christ hymn. Now, when I memorized this, when I was in college and in seminary, uh, I was using the NRSV Bible. So I'm gonna put that up there because it's, it's kind of what I was more comfortable with and the language that I want to use to talk about it. And so Philippians 2.6 in the NRSV says, 
who, talking about Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited. Some of your translations might say something to be grasped. He did not count equality with God as something to be exploited. So the question that I kind of end up with here is if you were equal with God, what what would that bring? What, What would equality with God bring you? So if you were equal with God, what, what, what would you do? Or as another way to say is, what would exploiting equality with God look like? Now, I know we don't like to think in that terms, like, Pastor, that makes me a little uncomfortable because we're not equal with God. I know you're not. I'm not either. We, we aren't. But if we were, what would that look like? And what we see in this passage is, is that Jesus, we understand, was equal with God. But what did Jesus do? He did not use that to protect himself or to increase his joy or his pleasure. He didn't get praise for himself or use his glory for himself or to make himself famous. He chose not to have the power for the sake of having power. Because for all of us, and we can look at our culture today, there is a temptation that you want to be famous because nowadays you can just post a whole bunch of stuff on social media and somehow magically become famous or you think you are and people want that. Jesus had all of that power and Jesus walked away from that power and he gave himself for us. So Paul tells us here, he had that ability and he gave it up for you. He gave it up for us. He gave it up for what God wanted him to do. Verse seven, says, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. And so here we have this, this shift in status that he was God, but yet he took the form of a human. He gave up that status to be like us. Now, why is that important? If we were going to write this story, the better way to write the story or the easier way to write the story is for Jesus to show up and for Jesus to be like the CEO of the biggest company in the world and him to show us how the companies should be run. That, That would make sense, wouldn't it? To be powerful, to do all these great things, to show us what all these things look like, to make... Uh, Jeff Bezos look like just a little guy in the big pond. I mean, he, could, he could do all of that. But the problem comes that when we are suffering, we would have no one to look to. When we are going through hard things, we have no one to go to. And Christ came to this earth and lived in such a way and humbled himself and said, I'm going to take on not just what it is to be human, but I'm going to take on all of the pain, all of the suffering, all of the hurt that humans can go through so that there is no point in your life that you could look and you could say, if only Jesus had it this hard. If only Jesus suffered this much, because Jesus has suffered more than any one of us has ever suffered. And to have a God who says to you, I'm moving into you, not just to show you the way to live, but to show you what it looks like when we suffer. 
when we hurt. To see someone who is a dependent on a God and a God who says, I'm with you in the midst of that suffering. I'm with you in the midst of that pain. And to walk with us through it. And so Christ comes to us and he changes his position. He, he changes his status in order to be born like us. In verse 8, it says he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. Now there is a lot of ways to die. And he didn't just become obedient to the point of death, but as Paul reminds us, even the worst possible death you can imagine. He was there. I think this is one of those places where we kind of have to, to pause and zoom out. Pause and kind of ask some questions about Jesus' status, but about our status. And kind of deal with the questions of what am I willing to do for status? Or rather, what, what is the goal of my life? Wait, what is the goal? What, what am I working towards in life? And Christ entered history and brought this answer to the question that we didn't even know to ask. What is Christ willing to do to convey the love of God to humanity? What links was Christ willing to go to to show us how much God loves us? He didn't seek status. He didn't seek to be the greatest. He didn't seek all of these things and all of these things that we think sometimes in life, this is what I need to work for. I need, I need that promotion. I need to move up. I need to do this. I need to do this. I need to do this. And Christ showed us, I need to be obedient. I need to give myself to show how much God loves, uh, loves you. And when, God, when Christ was obedient, we read there in the passage, verse 9 through 11. It says, therefore God highly elevated him, exalted him to the highest place of honor and gave him the name that was above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God to the Father. Now, I want you to kind of, if you have your Bibles up, but I want you to kind of see what's going on here. So we started off this passage and we go back into chapter one, the passage we looked at, to say the question, to ask the question, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news, worthy of the gospel. The gospel of who? Jesus. The Sunday school question? Thank you for answering. The gospel of Christ. So what does it look like to live this way? And so Paul begins to tell us, and he goes through these verses and he says to us, this is what I want you to live like. Love one another wholeheartedly, working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is more important than yourselves. Don't look out for only your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. And then Paul stops. And Paul gives us a little bit of a sermon illustration. 
And he stops his sermon and says, let's talk about what kind of attitude Jesus Christ had. And he breaks down what we call the Christ hymn. We've just walked through. Although Christ was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. And we walk through this and we see this passage, but it's really just a sermon illustration. So then we get back into verse 12 and Paul's going to pick up the sermon again. And so Paul's picking back up the sermon, the illustration's over, but he picks back up the sermon and he says, therefore, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Let's go back to verse 12. Because verse 12, it's kind of the place where it gets a little confusing. He's preaching the sermon. He's given us a sermon illustration. He comes back to his sermon. Dear friends, therefore, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed me, not only in my presence, much more so in my absence. All these things I've told you to do, whether I'm with you or whether I'm not, you need to be doing them. Okay, you with me? These are the things you need to be doing. But much more, now in my absence, work out your own, what? Salvation with fear and trembling. Now, what does he mean here? Now, for a lot of us, I think part of the problem is, is we read the word salvation and we just kind of think, well, obviously, salvation means that uh, I have to do what I can to make sure I make it to heaven. Okay, is that what salvation, it's it's pretty, pretty standard meaning. But Paul here wants to push this a little bit deeper. In the sermon, uh, I usually try to give you some kind of challenge at the end, ask some kind of question at the end. And so this is in Paul's sermon, even though the sermon's not really over for a while, Paul begins to kind of already have a call for action. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Know whom you stand for. Take this work seriously. Here are all the facts. Now I want you. I want you to do your part. Have the same attitude that Christ had. And when we have the same attitude that Christ had, we don't think of ourselves more highly than others. We don't regard our status higher than others. We don't give up. But we give up who we are and the status of who we are to understand the people that suffer. To understand what it's like. What it's like to live in a world that that not everything works the way that we think it's supposed to work. To hear the stories of people who are in pain. To hear the stories of hurt. Part of what we do when we go on mission trips and we, we talk about mission trips, we don't just go to make ourselves feel better, but we go. We go to hear stories. And when you begin to hear stories and you hear the way people are moving or the way people are living and, and what's going on in their lives, we are moved to compassion for them and we begin to learn what it is to be in their shoes. And it changes our lives. 
And Paul is saying to us, you want to know what you do is you begin to break down your wall so you can hear other people's lives. To live with them, to understand them. To know that other people are going through stuff. And you hear what they're going through, that we we get down there and we work this out with them. So we move to this word, salvation. What is, what is meant here by salvation? How do I ensure that my soul is going to heaven? That's kind of what we want to know. But that's not what Paul is talking about here. Here, what Paul is talking about with salvation comes back to, to one of his primary terms. Two words. In Christ. All through Paul's writings, Paul talks about this is what it is to be in Christ. So what is salvation? Salvation is is that we live as people who are in Christ. What does it fully mean for us to be people who are in Christ? I think Paul would tell you, and he tells us at the beginning of Philippians, whether I'm here, I'm going to live in Christ. Or whether I die, guess what? I'm going to live in Christ. It doesn't matter where I live. The goal doesn't change. I'm going to live in Christ. And Paul says, what you need to be doing is you need to work out your own salvation. You need to work out in your life, what does it look like to live in Christ? What does it look like in the world that we're living in to be people who are in Christ? I think Paul here is equating being fully in Christ to being salvation. If we're fully in Christ, we are living out our salvation. So the question, the question becomes, how do I live fully in Christ and fully in a Christian community? And the beauty is, is that Paul tells us we we, We don't have to do this by ourselves. We do this as the people of God. We do this with the power of the Spirit. This week, as I've already mentioned, and I think all of us went through the same emotions of watching the news, and we go through these things, and if you're like me and and Heather, you you end up with way more questions than you have answers for. And it's, a, it's an interesting experience of trying to write a sermon in the midst of, of that news. Of trying to figure out, like, what exactly can I say? What exactly can we talk about? What exactly should, where should I go in this? And you go through seeing this, the, the TV in Buffalo. The next week it was in California. This week it's in Texas. And it's overwhelming. The hurt, the loss, the pain is overwhelming. And I kept coming back. I kept coming back to Philippians 1 and Paul saying, but guys, I've called you to do something. You've been called to live out the gospel. You've been called to proclaim the good news. 
And I think so many times, and I know in my life, I get kind of sidetracked with, with a political issue where I think like, oh, this is what we need to do. or this, And I get, I get sidetracked by all of those other things. And I hope I'm not the only other one that does that. When I just, just need to return. Return to a calling, return to a word that says, I've, I've, I've given you a job. That the good news is being announced. And what you are in this world and the way that you live in this world and the way that you love in this world, it's announcing something. That you walk through the streets and you get the opportunity to announce something. What are you announcing? And Paul says, if you're the church, if you're the people of God, you're announcing Christ. You're announcing a new song. You're announcing a world that you believe doesn't end the way that it looks right now. But you believe in a world that is different, in a world that changes, in a world that God is enthroned over. And I kept coming back to the words. The words I read earlier, the church is always at its most daring and risky and dangerous and free when it sings a new song. Because then, then it sings the power of the gospel that won't let the world have, or won't let the world finally stay as it is. I don't want the world to stay as it is. It's heartbreaking. It hurts. I want to be reminded that there is a God who is our source of hope, a God who is an agent of newness, a God who brings about life. But as the church, part of what I have to remember is, is that Paul tells us, guys, you, you're supposed to be announcing this. Your life is announcing something. And we get the opportunity to be people who are announcing goodness, who are announcing life, who are announcing love. And Paul says, make me truly happy by wholeheartedly agreeing with one another, loving one another, working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. There are times you're going to have to let down what you think and what you feel because it's a roadblock to ministering to other people, you're going to have to let that go sometimes. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as more important than yourselves, that includes their opinions when you don't agree with them. That's hard. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Because your attitude, your attitude is not marked by this world. Your attitude is not marked by a political system. Your attitude is marked by Christ. Who though he was in the form of God did not account equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself. But gave himself. And guys, I don't know what all of that looks like. I don't know what it looks like 
in 2020. But it's something that I want to work towards. It's something in my life that I want to strive after. Because what the world is striving after isn't leading anywhere good. That I want to strive after the world as Paul sees it, the world as the gospel sees it. This morning, as we, as we close, we're going to sing uh, once again, Great Are You, Lord. And for so many times, that song is just a, a cry, of, cry of my heart. That he is the breath, that he is our life. And this morning for some of you, uh, as we have been doing, Pastor James will be right over here at this altar. If you need to pray, uh, if you don't, when I talk about in Christ, if, if you don't know what it is to be a follower of Christ, Pastor James would love to talk to you and pray with you. If you are someone this morning who feels that they uh, need to be anointed for healing, whether it is uh, physical, emotional, spiritual, whatever that is, I would love to pray with you right down here at this altar. But there also might be some of you who just say, I, I'm tired of the way the world is. I've lost sight of what I'm supposed to be announcing. I've lost sight of, of, of the gospel. I've lost sight of what Christ has called me to be. And I, I need to confess that. I need to come and pray and just say, Lord, bring me back that new song. Bring me back to that new life. Bring me back to announcing that there is a king that is coming and that king brings life, brings salvation, brings hope and love because our world desperately needs to hear the message. And you and I have been called have been called to proclaim that message in our world. No matter how dark, no matter how hard, no matter how difficult, it doesn't matter. We've been called to proclaim that message. Sometimes we just need to come and just say, I, I haven't done, I haven't done it the way that I feel that I should have. Lord, I need you to bring new life and a new song. Let us stand as we sing.